Hola, amigos. This is Doshi, the gnarly beach cleaner, calling in from Venice Beach, California. I wanted to give you a heads up that Mayor Peak from the city of Malibu is looking to ban plastic straws and all single-use plastic cutlery. Please join us on February 12th at the Malibu City Council meeting to voice your support to help keep the ocean and our beaches clean from plastic pollution. Remember to always make it fun and to stay stoked, amigos. Thank you, Doshi. That was a message from one of our listeners. If you have a public service announcement that you want played at the beginning of this show, if you're tuning in from somewhere awesome, be it on top of a mountain, and you want to scream to the world, hey, I'm on top of the mountain. Have a fantastic day, everyone. You can record it on your phone, and you can email it to me. My email is kyle at kyle.surf you can record it using voice memos super simple this podcast is with amy baldwin amy is a somatic sex and relationship coach she is a certified sex educator sales trainer and educator for uber lube as well as co-founder of a mother-daughter owned pleasure boutique called pure pleasure shop Amy has a passion for promoting shame-free, pleasure-focused sexuality education while emphasizing the deep emotional and energetic forces behind great sex and intimate connection, offering everything from how-to workshops to erotic empowerment retreats. This is the third podcast that I've done with Amy, so if you like it and you want to hear more, check out episode 23 as well as episode 54. We talk about all different kinds of stuff in every episode. And in this podcast, we talked about maintaining relationship longevity. We talked about the importance of play. We talked about this. Ooh, you know what I wanted to talk about was initiating sex. I really want to talk about that because I just talked about that a little bit just there. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about initiating sex. Okay. So everyone wants to feel wanted and desired. When we get in long-term relationships, we often stop doing that or we don't do it. Amy is the co-host of the Shameless Sex Podcast, which I highly recommend and will link to in her profile. And per usual, she brought the thunder. So without further ado, please welcome my homegirl, Amy Baldwin. In Cape Town, I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Amy Baldwin in the house. She's back. She's back. Round three. Round three. Tucking sex and other things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting the best of the best on the podcast. Yeah. For year two. Year two. Yeah. How's year two going for you? It's going great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So far, just knocking it out of the park one after the next. Shot a big big fish in the face today. Yeah. We're actually having a glass of wine to celebrate the fact that he shot a big fish in the face. Yeah, right out front of my house, too. Um, You'd make fish tacos? 
we've made fish tacos tonight. That's why you needed to podcast at 7.30, huh? Exactly. <laughs> He's like, can yeah. I push it back? Brought some friends over, mm-hmm. diffused the responsibility of the murder. Ah, yes. It's not just yours. Good job. Exactly. I like that you're hunting. I mean, that's hunt. It's for whatever you... I mean, it's a form of hunting Absolutely. Yeah. Can we call it hunting? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Um... You're not hunting mushrooms, though. You're foraging mushrooms. I hate it when people say that. <laughs> I'm hunting them down. Yeah. I, will, I got them. I will, I will gr- catch them. They tried to them. run away from me. Yeah. They won't get away. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what's, what's up? What's up? What's up? Is, what's good? Life is good. It's good to be back. Uh, Kyle tells me, Kyle, who's in front of me, that um, all you people, probably not all of you, some of you probably listen to me and you're like, she's crazy. She talks about sex. <laughs> uh, but that you uh, seem to be good, big fans of what I have to say. So I love sharing the good word. It's good to be back. And it's fun to talk to a different demographic from sh- the Shameless Sex podcast. You know, to talk to your podcast crew who probably isn't usually talking about sex 24-7. So it's good to bring the good word. My audience is just thinking about it 24-7. Aren't we all? Yeah. Or Well, yeah. I can't say I'm always thinking. I'm definitely not always thinking about sex. I'm, and I've also wondered at times, am I, am I jaded? Like, am I not thinking about sex as much because I talk about it so much for work? But I don't think I ever have been one to just think about sex 24-7. It just hasn't really been my operating system. Do you think, though, that because it's a less, less of a forbidden topic for you and because you've kind of dissected your own thoughts around it, that it's less of... Um this dark thing in the corner that that yeah. creates this kind of obsession definitely and yeah definitely and actually an example that today i um i had a session with someone who is do they're learning how to do some kind of like tantric work like tantric coaching they're not co- coaching me on how to do tantric work they're actually doing this work as a form of healing for people and i'm their test bunny for it and so i had this session with this person and in it they said what were they saying? They're using these words on me as they were like, just, they were just lightly like caressing my body over my clothes to kind of turn up the sensuality, which I'll talk about in a little bit because I'm learning the power of that. But before I do talk about that, um, he was whispering to me, um, what did he say? He said, um, your skin loves this, but you can't have all of it yet. Or like said it in this sexy voice. And, and it wasn't, I don't even, I didn't know what all of it was because we weren't going to do anything too wild and crazy. There's a lot of, it was just touching over the clothes, but something about having this thing that I couldn't have all of a sudden just turned up my eroticism, even though I didn't even know what it was. Like, I don't know what I, I, you're saying I can't have, and I don't even know if I want it, but, right. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, that sounds really hot all of a sudden. And so I think these conversations are always around me and are always available. So, um, there isn't a lot of turn on around them, but they still excite me because they're my favorite thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, I read a book earlier this year, or I guess it would be last year, called Pitch Anything, all about how to pitch yourself and pitch projects. And um, one of the themes of it was we want what we can't have. We chase, uh, we want what we can't have. We chase that which moves away from us and we only value it if uh, it's expensive. Mm. Hmm. Do you agree with that? Uh, the last part, I, I yeah, that one's a tricky one for me. I don't know about that one. We only value it if it's, it's expensive. Well, it's, yeah. Or um, it might have been it. We only value that which we pay for, or okay. something around value. And I I totally agree with that regarding marketing. Uh-huh. There are a ton of stories of products that just raise or of companies that just raise the price on their product, and all of a sudden their sales go through the roof. Yeah. Because um, yeah, we value yeah we value what. 
what we pay more for, mm, yeah. right? You ever have a, like someone bring over a nice bottle of wine? They're like, yeah, it was very expensive. Oh, now it tastes extra delicious. And really they could have put it in some two buck Chuck bottle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or no, put the two buck Chuck in the nice bottle. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. I think that there is an element of psychology to yeah. that. Yeah. I, I guess I definitely have value. Like if someone gives me something that's a really thoughtful gift. So I didn't, I, and I don't know if it's expensive or not, but there's a lot of intention behind it I, I think I would definitely value that so I don't know if, if the, the the dollar amount would have much yeah to do with it, that, and I may have I may be misremembering that, that final one, that last section one, yeah. but it was something around yeah. value and uh-huh. I think that we definitely value that which we work hard for yeah you mm-hmm. know I, and I think that that's a big issue that a lot of people in my generation are, are grappling with now is that it's we have a lot of instant gratification yeah something regarding social media you can go on there and you get this little dopamine hit it used to be that you had to chop down a tree <laughs> fucking just hit that tree with an axe for two days straight and blood and sweat yes you wipe your forehead and you say that was a damn good day right there <laughs> or you have to kill a fish yeah shoot it in the head that's a damn good day yeah it's a lot easier yeah. to go to the supermarket yeah yeah i agree with that and i definitely uh, so essentially what you're saying is similar to the grass is greener so there's you know something that we can't have or it's on the other side and it's not ours all of a sudden it looks more enticing and i've definitely experienced that and i see that with the clients that i work with and i think that is just uh, natural human behavior to um to desire something that we can't have a cre- I think it, that itself is like the dopamine reward system is activated by it. it's just the, you know, the Pavlovian dogs salivating just, I just want it so right bad. yeah yeah um so once we recognize that about ourselves which I think is important once we name it then we can take more ownership over it mm. um or at least learn how to use this these these beasts of minds that we don't fully understand better um how do we use that energy in ethical ways? Mm. Um, because I think a big, a big problem that a lot of people have is they, they want something until they get it. Um, you, you can speak to relationships on yeah. this. Um, and then once they have it, it's not so much exciting. It's not exciting anymore. Yeah. And um, there can be a lot of damage done. Yeah. Well, I think we've talked about this before. I know you and I have talked about this on this side. I don't know if it's just been on the podcast, but um, Esther Perel's work. And she does a lot of work on infidelity um, and monogamy and non-monogamy. But she does does talk about in this book called Mating in Captivity, um, how we want this perfect balance of individuation and attachment with our partners. Whereas, cause if we attach too much, so we're, you know, we're always by each other's side. We share everything all the time. We don't have our, anything to talk about anymore. We don't have any independence, any stories to bring to excite each other with. Um, so you don't want too much of that, but if you don't have any of that or enough of that, then you're too individualized and you're just, the connection's gone because you're so separate. And both of those things really affect desire and connection. And it isn't, it isn't her theory, but it's, I forgot where the theory comes from, but it's obstacle plus attraction equals desire. Uh, so, and, and the obstacle doesn't have to be like they're completely unobtainable or they're breaking your heart, but, um, 
But the minute we feel 100% safe, like... It's like their pants are in a double knot. So you <laughs> yeah. got like, I can't I figure can't this out. out. Yeah. Fuck, it's I really want to have sex with you now. Yeah. Oh, such an obstacle. Yeah. It turns me on even more. Yeah, it, tur- it turned out the key to our erotic play was this uh, s- book on sailing knots. And I just started just, tying just my changed. pants in these crazy knots. It he, totally worked. He couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and it was so hot. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's so that's, that's what the desire comes from that 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 juiciness that comes out of that and so a lot of times in long-term relationships it's pretty um, natural for people to get so safe and comfortable and with their partners you know, all of a sudden they feel like oh yeah I got you you're not leaving me and I know marriage is just you know a ceremony and a whole bunch of paperwork and I, I mean I have some very personal <laughs> beliefs about marriage and how um how I think it's kind of an outdated system, um, or I don't think it necessarily fits all people. I'll say that. Um, but there's this idea that people think one, when they get married, they're going to all of a sudden be really safe. Now you can't leave me, but you can, you can just pay a lot of money and a lot of annoying documents to get away. Um, and two, something about that, like that, that now that we're married and that you're mine and I'm fully safe now on, on the downside, it can change desire. Cause all of a sudden the obstacle piece is gone. There's still attraction, but then you're like, why don't I want to fuck my partner anymore? Like what happened? It just, the newness and that spiciness is faded. So now that's, and it's not, no one's broken. It doesn't mean that it's hopeless. Now that's when we have to get creative and start to find new ways. How can we create newness and hotness while still in partnership, whether it's monogamous or non-monogamous? Um, and there's plenty of ways to do that, but a lot of times what will happen to people is they'll have to hit this, this just low of all lows where they haven't had sex with their partner for like a year. And then they're finally like, okay, we need to do something about this. Fat on the couch. Potato chips are getting caught between their, f- <laughs> the flesh, the flesh. And, and then they say, we need to call Amy Baldwin. <laughs> and then I'm like, all right. So first step, um, well, we need it. I think that we need incentives for discovery and like to what creates excitement, what creates those um, wild summer lightning strikes of inspiration are when we when we are continually pushing towards those yellow zones, as you call them, like yeah. the parts that are dis- uncomfortable or yeah. like we we maintain this kind of curiosity and rom- romance mm-hmm. um, and when that gets lost very quickly, the light can dim. Yeah. Um, so we uh, we need a damn good tool belt to keep it fiery. Yeah, and keep that tool belt fresh. You know, they're always adding new tools into the tool belt. One of the questions I ask a couple of couples, or not just couples, but clients in my coaching practice, my sex and relationship coaching practice, uh, when they're not feeling desire, I ask, um, and this is what I've learned from my somatica training, is um, to ask them what makes them feel alive. You know, what in your life makes you feel alive? Or if nothing makes you feel very alive right now, because sometimes people, their whole life is just really dim, including sexuality. But what in the past has made you feel alive, just like so full of life and, you know, excited or whatever, vibrant? And how can we incorporate more of that? And also um, to remind them that they can have that in their sex lives. You know, most people um, have experienced at least at some point, some aliveness and related to sexuality. And, um, and so how, what are some, some things we can add to our toolkit or how can we use those tools to turn that up and feel more of that? And maybe it's not all the time, but feel more of that in our lives. Yeah. I was, uh, watching Esther Perel's Ted talk, mm. um, the other day on infidelity. Yeah. And she said that one thing that really stuck with me was that, a lot of people who cheat on their partners are deeply monogamous, but one thing that they all report is this feeling of aliveness. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
a desire to find a part of themselves that they feel like they've lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it isn't necessarily like there's, there's something missing in the relationship, which that can be part of uh, cheating is that something, there was a need that wasn't met that does happen all, often. And a lot of times it is, yeah, like you're saying, I lost a part of me in this. I lost that vibrance, that excitement. And you, there are people who are in perfectly wonderful, connected, you know, relationships, marriage with children, and they have a great relationship they have good sex with their partner and they still cheat because there's something more and the the other things she also talks about is um entitlement not an entitlement like a narcissistic entitlement but in a we live in an age where we have so much access to knowing that there's so much out there that for us you know that we have we can see it on facebook we can see it on tv we can see everywhere in the conversations um, we know that people want more and they know they can have it and so there's this this entitlement to i know i can have more i deserve more and that it's available and i'm gonna go get it and sometimes they go get it and then people get hurt along the way. And I'm not preaching for, um, for cheating or non-monogamy or any of that stuff. I'm just, I want to, I want to normalize, um, the desire for more in life, the desire to feel alive, that sexuality is a very big thing for people in terms of feeling that and getting that need met and also normalize that it is, uh, normal to desire someone other than your partner. It's, um, if someone is with someone for 30 years and they never feel something for anyone else, I would like to speak to them because I don't think that they exist. I just don't think that that's possible. And it doesn't mean when I say desire doesn't mean you definitely need to sleep with them, but just an attraction or I wonder what that would be like, you know, that that kind of thing. Or I think crushes in even in monogamous relationships are really healthy. I think that they can be fueled and fueled in a really beautiful way where it can create this sense of aliveness. Like, Ooh, this is new and exciting because I'm attracted to that person. And and maybe you're close to them, but I'm, you're going to, you need to have, you don't need to, but if you want to maintain the integrity in your monogamous relationship, of course you have boundaries and abide by them, but you can fuel it in a way that just raises that aliveness by by even like using some fantasy with it or whatever, but then coming back to your partner and you can bring that aliveness to your partner, even though you have that aliveness from this idea of something or someone else. I think it's completely natural, normal and healthy to do. It's just a matter of um, integrity with boundaries and how you want to go about that. But I think that it can be really beautiful um, when, when funneled in, in the, in not, I wouldn't, I'm going to say the right way, but in a way that, um, abides by your relationship boundaries. What would that really look like? Because most people feel an immense amount of shame for Mm -hmm. even thinking certain thoughts. Yep. Um, and it can lead nowhere good. Yeah. Shame really leads. Oh, you know how I feel about shame. Oh yeah. Um, I made a whole podcast on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what does that, um, really look like? Yeah. Boy and a girl, they're in love. They're dating. Um, someone feels some desire yeah, for someone else. Yeah, gr- yeah. girls feeling uh, some like, desire for the barista down at Verve Coffee Shop. He, he's so maybe no. Yeah. It's like, we're gonna make her lady. She, lady. She has a big crush on the lady barista, and she's like, "Is that who said barista?" I don't know. Barista. Is, is, is barista a only women too? I don't know. I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's a barista. <laughs> barista. <laughs> All right, let's 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 yeah. let's start a new so story. On person- that, that one fell flat pretty quickly. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let's, I'll just use myself. So I'm in a partnership. I would say I'm in a monogamous partnership, um, which I am, and um, we've been together for four years. This is true, um, and 
we're in it and it's you know monogamous I, I love this person I'm super attracted to them we have this close bond we consider each other you know like life partners and I meet someone that I'm attracted to you know I'm, that I and and for me for me personally I there's so many qualifications for attraction now like I don't see hotness anymore I see like attraction but I see I you know I'm attracted to this is a total tangent but you know I have to see all these things so anyway so I see all these things and so I'm like holy shit that person is really attractive and um and I'm gonna just kind of play with that in my mind a little bit and just kind of play with like and really just sit with what that feels like what does it feel like in that newness of being attracted to someone because I know I see my partner and he's so beautiful it's like the sexiest man I've ever seen in my entire life and I still feel that way and that newness still isn't there it isn't that fresh like holy shit his shirt is off oh my god I must touch it you know that that has shifted because we've been together for four years uh so now what I do is I'm more active about it. I see him and I like I go into that process for myself like his shirt's off oh yeah and he's the most sexiest man alive okay go to him you know it's it's more of a pro and then I, and then I get a lot of desire then I get a lot of arousal but for this new person I can just at least allow myself the time to just feel that aliveness of attraction of newness of a crush and I have to of course if I have monog monogamy a monogamous relationship and I have boundaries I have to stay strong in those if I want, if I choose to, you know, that's what I want to do as I want to stay in integrity with my partnership. And so I'm not going to act on them, but I can really play with it and feel that. And it will make me feel more alive. It just will create more sensation in my body. My heart will start racing. I'll get a little smile on my face. And it just, it, it, and that, you know, that's that aliveness, that sexual energy, that arousal is life force energy. You know, that's fuel. When we feel that we, we're not about to, I'm not going to take a nap after that. I am like fully charged up and I just gave that to myself through attraction. And so, yeah, we get, a lot of people will feel shame about that. They feel like they're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed, if I love my partner or if I'm committed to them, I'm only supposed to be attracted to them. I think that that is super limiting and hurtful to a lot of people because that's not how humans usually work. Usually humans usually have um, at least attraction. If it's not desire, at least attraction to others. They are not completely blind to the rest of the world. So um, I think it's helpful to at least normalize it so, make, so people don't fall into shame. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. And we can, as you said, like there can be, healthy energy and unhealthy energy mm -hmm. like brilliant thing the catholic church did a while ago oh, is, is, yeah. <laughs> oh you want to masturbate like oh you're a sinner that's a bad thing so you're going to take yeah. all of this energy that everyone's going to have mm -hmm. and then make them feel like, shame yeah. mm -hmm. around this energy rather than using it and being like i'm gonna fucking get out today and crush the Whee! day like ooh, yeah. i feel alive i feel invigorated I just had you know? exactly yeah. um yeah i think that it, our orientation to that energy is what matters most and that's mm -hmm. what i heard you say yeah yeah definitely and i think also attraction to other can be used in a way so there's, there's that's one version of it right that one version is that i keep it for myself in in and you know what esther perel would say is that um 
that's that's like maintaining some mystery she actually doesn't believe in radical honesty in relationships and in in conveying every little thing to your partner like this is how i feel and oh i saw someone i'm attracted to you know that's she thinks that she's i don't think she's necessarily against it but she thinks some mystery is good and not like white lies or lies in general but just some mystery like, like that i think that would be a good example one of of oh I have kind of a crush on that person I'm going to keep that for myself to have some mystery I'm not going to act on it and that's of course when we like don't put yourself in silly situations where all of a sudden you're in alone in a bedroom with that person like be careful about those things then if you have an attraction you don't want to act on it like we all know when we're making choices that are putting ourselves at risk um, so that's one version of it is just for ourselves to play with another version is sometimes people do want to talk about it in partnership with each other they have an arrangement with their partner where we actually are going to share our attraction about to other people we're not going to act on it but hey just want to let you know like I was talking to that guy over there and I thought he was I, I'm really attracted to him like I was kind of turned on and some people could just be really triggered by it and, and get really fearful, you know, and choose to meet, think that that means there's something wrong with them. Oh, no, my partner's attracted to someone else. They must not love me. They must not be attracted to me, which usually is not the case. Or you could turn it into um, a way to, to, to fuel that hotness, you know, feel, feel the jealousy and the possessiveness as a means of creating some aliveness. Huh. Um, so that's yeah. Is that your well, yeah yeah? Well, let's let's talk more about this because most people yeah. have a very negative connotation with jealousy. With jealousy. Yeah, je- I mean jealousy. So everyone feels jealousy. You're most poly or polyamorous people who are in love with five million people or whatever their relationship setup is. They still feel jealousy. It comes up all the time. It's not about suppressing jealousy or getting rid of it. It's about what you do with it. It's how you work with it and how you react to it. So. Um, we don't want to run from jealousy. We don't want to shame jealousy. And instead, we can use jealousy as a means towards deeper communication and voicing our needs and where we're at. So jealousy in that would be my partner says they're really attracted to this other person. I'm not going to act on it. I just want to let you know I'm really attracted to them. They kind of turn me on right now. I could either go into a place of being really insecure about it, or I could start to play with it. Well, you better not, because you're mine, you know, or you can, like, in, in a loving way, not like, bitch, you're mine, you know, but like, Unless you're all, some role playing you're all, yeah, you could yeah. just kind of, well, yeah, it is, but it is kind of going into this role playing, like, you're, no, you're, yeah, you're all mine, but oh yeah, you, you wish you could go that direction, or like, that, that girl or guy wishes they could have you, but you're all mine, and you know what I'm going to do to you later to remind you that you're all mine, or, you know, there's ways to go about it to, to use that possessiveness or that jealousy as uh, fuel for sexiness too. So we have choices. Not everyone can choose that because some people are are so um, hurt, you know, have so much trauma around worthiness and, you know, maybe they've been cheated on or, um, and those are things that you can all work through, of course, but not everyone can just easily choose, yeah, I'm going to make jealousy really sexy but they're available to us. What do you think is behind most people's fear of being cheated on? That uh, they're going to lose the love. Um, so if you cheat on, if you know, if you cheat on me with someone that you're going to meet someone that's better than me and that you're going to leave me for them. Some of it isn't even related to that though, because say they cheated on you and they're like, but I choose this. A lot of it is just this, this like, it isn't, I'm not going to say it. Some of it's pride. Sometimes pride's in the way. What is, that's, that's, what is everyone going to think of me if I stay with you? There's that. There's also the, a lot of the stories about what, sh- what love should and shouldn't be. 
You know, a lot of people think that people who love people shouldn't hurt them, but people hurt each other all the time. One of my mentors was on our podcast on Shamus Sex on talking about non-monogamy and she was saying that um, when people are doing repair work, you can't say, I'll never hurt you again, ever. You can never say that because you're always going to somehow hurt someone. And there is, you know, there's no hierarchy of hurt. You can hurt someone by saying, I'm going to call you later and you don't call them. Um, so, so there's, there's this understand this, this is misconception. If you love me, you wouldn't have done that. Well, they love you and they did it like that happens. So we need to get away from that, that this is not what people who love each other do. People who love each other make mistakes. They make, they make selfish choices. They're out of it. You know, they have moments where they're out of integrity. It, it, it happens. And what matters is what are we going to do with that? You know, what are, how are we, how are we going to work to, to come into integrity? How are we going to grow from it? You know, if someone's not willing to grow from it and they're like, yeah, I did that thing, but whatever, fuck it. Then <laughs> probably not the best person to stay in relationship with. Um, but yeah, I, I think the fear of losing love, I think goes more towards like people who are fearful of non-monogamy. You know, there it's the fear of if we open the relationship up, you might now have the opportunity to meet someone that's better than me. Um, so that's a worthiness issue, but people meet people all the time, even in monogamous relationship that, that they might still be attracted to, or they might think have certain qualities that are better or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of the fear. I'm not, I'm going to say irrational, but it's created around a lot of old stories. Right. Yeah. And I think also like sense of self. Yeah. Um, it's huge. Like there's a, in a relationship, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of expectations put on people, you know, like mm-hmm. you're my best friend. You're my, you're my everything. You're my everything. You're my intellectual. Oh, you're my confidant every, you know, so if one person betrays the other, does that tear down this idea that we had of them? And I, th- yeah. I think that like, so I think about this a lot. Like I, I think it's so great that we talk about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. because so often we, we're uneducated about how to deal with emotions well. So it, the conversations stop at like, well, she's a bitch, bro. Like never talk to her again. Or like, you can get so many chicks, dude. You don't need her. (laughs) You know, it's, and no one grows or learns. And, um, and this, so I think that this kind of honesty is really important. Yeah. Well, we, we do the work so we can play. That's why we work. And I think right. what you're, I hear what you're saying. So what I'm hearing is, you know, and we've talked about this before is a lot of people get caught up in the work. You know, once they do the work on something, it's like, what's the next, next piece of work as about, as opposed to basking in the whole point of the work was to come to a place where you could just be and play and enjoy and celebrate. And a lot of people forget to do that. It becomes all about the work. Even, even outside a relationship, people are doing it for like self-help all the time. You know, so you're just constantly reading self-help book after self-help book after self-help book and going to you know an ayahuasca ceremony and then going to a therapy session. And you're like, well, how, what are you doing to celebrate and enjoy your life? A lot of people just forget to do that. It's such an important thing. I mean, I think everyone can agree that that's why we're working is so we can enjoy life. Yeah, but we forget that. Yeah. And then people, some people just like, oh yeah, I just had let life pass by and didn't take a moment to really enjoy and celebrate. I have a natural tendency to just enjoy and celebrate. So that really isn't a struggle for me. And I also have a natural tendency to do a lot of work, but I might, my overall temperament is very light and playful and easy uh, and it has a lot to do with my childhood and the way I was raised with my, with my mom and a lot of love. Um, and so that isn't a struggle for me, but, um, I know a number of people 
that it's really hard. It's, it's hard for them to remember to play and to celebrate and go into that lightness. They, they have to really practice that. Right, which, like, <laughs> in itself, like, all right, we're going to practice how to we're play right now. We're practice playing, yeah. <laughs> Babe, we're going to play right now. Yeah. This shit's so, supposed to be fun. Y- so what do we do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we write down all the things we like to do. Yeah. We're going to categorize that list. And then <laughs> we're going to write a book about it. We're going to write a <laughs> book about the best way to enjoy and, ourselves. And we're going to, oh, wait, I'm not having fun anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess there's a couple of things going on there. You know, one play might be associated for a lot of people with like immaturity. You're not taking life seriously, especially if you have parents that are really hard on you. You know, you need to take life seriously and stop fucking around, you know, to their kid. And so they finally feel like that, you know, they at some point they need to stop being light and silly or playful or whatever. And when I say light and silly, it doesn't have to be that play can be so many different things. Um, but when that somehow gets this like stigma of as if that is a sign of immaturity or um, irresponsibility, then and, the, and then those people live a portion of their lives not doing that, and then all of a sudden they have to learn all over again. Right. Yeah. How do you play, Kyle? How do I play? Yeah. Tell us how you play. Like in my partnership or in all life? the ways. All the ways. <laughs> um. How do I play? Shoot fish in the head. Shoot fish in the head. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, it, it's interesting is like sometimes like when we start having our passion become too in line with our, um, work, mm-hmm. that play can become convoluted. Like surfing, I, I would consider playing for me, Yeah. but I've had to do a lot of work around mm-hmm. my relationship <laughs> with surfing yeah. to make sure that I can still keep enjoying it mm-hmm. um and i think that's like sometimes play for me is um there's aspects of my life that have like no bearing on what my career is like i'm like playing ping pong like that shit i love playing ping pong <laughs> i fucking smoke people at ping pong too and there's a big competition yeah and that's still fun playful sometimes sometimes, sometimes shit gets intense <laughs> yeah i was uh i lost in a big ping pong game one time so i went down to a spot called the portuguese hall santa cruz <laughs> table tennis club they uh-huh. practice on tuesdays and thursdays so <laughs> i joined takes it real for seriously. about a year mm-hmm. i got real good at ping pong good job and i beat that kid and then did it lose, <laughs> did it lose its fun though as at some point did it take a turn to stop being play um or did it stay play yeah i mean i did i don't know i mean i i think that i'm competitive by nature so okay or, I, I like getting better at things Yeah. for me. Like I, th- I think that f- like whether it's in a relationship or in life, like I like to figure things out mm-hmm. and be like, okay, this isn't working. Like, you know, like I'll do this in my relationship sometimes where it's like, okay, there's something that we need to figure out here. It is very like type a mm-hmm. of me. Um, yeah. I'm like that too. Yeah, because I do think that sometimes, like, it's just misunderstandings that lead to a lot of the world's woes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I do think that it's good to clarify. Yeah, we clarify so that we can go into a place of lightness once again, and and so we're we, we're doing that work to come into into this to the to the light or to the joy or whatever. Right. It is. I like the word joy. Lately, I've been using the word joy a lot. Like, so I th- so we are. 
in a culture lots of, right now where we um, we are entitled to happiness. Right? Mm-hmm. We think that if we're not happy all the time, there's something wrong with us. Yeah. Um, but as, but I really like what you say that we do the work so that we can play. Like, let's say that someone's in a relationship where they feel like uh, the light is dimming mm-hmm. and they, and they can't, haven't really been able to articulate like what it is. What are some steps that you would recommend they take with their partner to gain that aliveness so that they can continue to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I think the first step is to get clear on where you're stuck. And a lot of times it would be looking at if there's any resentments that need to be cleared in the relationship, you know, old stuff that people were hurt by that they're not talking about that need to be cleared out so that, cause that, if that stuff isn't cleared out, all the other stuff is pretty hard to get to. It's like the foundation. You have to go heal those cracks in that foundation. So work through those resentments either together or together with a therapist or a coach or whatever that looks like. Um, And then get clear on what you feel like has shifted in the relationship. You know, where... What is what has changed? Is it because we're together all the time? We don't go on dates anymore. You don't. We don't try to touch each other in new ways. Um, we're not spicing things up. We don't even have time to be intimate. You know, getting clear on those those things of what is getting in the way of that and creating that that dimness. Um, and then from, and some, so that it, it will depend because some people are just really disconnected from their bodies. And if that's the case, then the next step would be for them to work on getting back in their bodies and connected to their sensuality. Um, some people just get really busy. They have kids, they have jobs, they get into a routine of not connecting. And that's really common for people who have kids actually. Um, just, yeah, having kids changes sex lives. <laughs> There's like no way around it. And uh, so if that's the case, then setting date nights and um, and times where we can just be intimate together or um, just yeah, having a schedule that allows for those moments of connection um, or changing the way you when you when you come home and you actually see your partner as well as like, hey, honey, how was your day? Like making a rule to set down all your stuff, sit down or lay down with your bodies wrapped around each other for like five minutes. No words, just breathing together and then having a conversation for 10 minutes. And that's that's how you always come together. Um, it really, it just really depends on where people are, but a lot of it is we are getting stuck in our routines and we're forget, especially in long-term relationship, we're forgetting that we need to continue to do the work so that we can continue to play. And it's just, yeah, just figuring out those levels. And then if we want to, and then once we get through those things, then, you know, I have clients sometimes that are coming to me for really heavy stuff and I have some that are coming to me and I'm like, well, why are you guys here? And like, we don't really know. We just want to spice it up a little bit. So it's like, okay, cool. Well, what do you want to learn about? And when they're like female ejaculation or sex toys or whatever it is, they want to add more spice. You know, we like we're connected. We have pretty good sex and we just want to know what more is out there that we can add to spice it up. And that to me is a form that's play right there. You know, adding new tools, whether it's sex toys or new skills or role playing or just new ideas or conversations um, are different ways that we can play. And that's why when I talk about sexuality, I often talk about it as playing, you know, I don't say like we're having sex where, you know, it's playing. Um, but for some people they want it to be, you know, it's different for everyone. Some people want love making or they want fucking or whatever their thing is divine fucking. I really love that one. Um, but yeah, it's just, just figuring out what sounds good to you and how can we add that, add more of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's strange to me how when I think about how many people only get touched 
in sexual ways. Mm-hmm. Like, or like, not even. But or, yeah. or not yeah. even. Yeah. yeah, or not. Yeah, not at all. People mm-hmm. just don't get to touch each other. Do you know about the Japanese cuddle salons? No, do people pay to cuddle? People pay to cuddle in Japan. Well, they were trying. I heard about one in the UK too. And there are people who throw. Well, there are people who get paid in the States. Uh, I know but there's like a training for to be a professional cuddleist. It's the thing. You can pay someone like 60 bucks for an hour of cuddles. How do we become a pro in cuddling? Yeah. Is it like... Um, I don't really know exactly what they're training. <laughs> yeah, like in, in Japan, it's like, okay, it is uh, you know, $20 to uh, have me spoon you. It's $40 to have me gaze deeply into your eyes and Ooh. stroke your hair. Wow. But like people, some people need, I mean, so people don't have access to that. These are important things for, you know, eye gazing is connection and being seen. Um, having your hair stroke or your skin stroke creates oxytocin and is, is a really important experience for the, the body and the hormonal system. And, um, you know, we can do it to ourselves. I think I, I kind of told you about this a little bit, but, um, I was in a, in a ayahuasca ceremony this last weekend and I was, um, in it just st- noticed that I had these hands. I mean, I always knew that, but <laughs> I had these hands. I'm like, why don't I touch my whole body with them more often? I actually don't really touch my whole body with them at all. And so why don't I just make it a practice of taking them and rubbing them up and down my body as if it's some other hands that are romancing me and caressing me and adoring me really slowly and sensually. And I started doing it in the ceremony and it felt so good and so profound because everything does. Ayahuasca. Uh, and then I eventually, you know, my hands eventually found their way to my heart and I held myself, you know, hugged myself in a way that felt like it was the best way anyone's ever held me before, but it was by me. And, and I was finally at home in me, you know, I've been home many times in myself, but really fell into that place. And, and in that, I realized how I always knew how important touch was and that, but in that I was like, Oh, I can give that to myself. And it's more powerful to receive it from someone else. And it's a really, really, um, I mean, people crave it. Their skin literally crawls for when they don't get it. You know, people, a lot of people, especially super touch people, they need it and they want it and they're hungry for it. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of got to love ourselves. Yeah. Like we say shit to ourselves that we would never say to other people. I I like what you're saying about like, just like rubbing ourselves in non-sexual ways. Yeah. Damn, like, yeah, we have this, we have these bodies here. Let's, let's yeah. enjoy them. Why aren't we touching them? And now I'm like the girl that's constantly like rubbing her breasts. <laughs> like, shit, just, she's yeah. on ecstasy. And just, yeah, I'm just on natural ecstasy. It's like, I'm going to start rubbing my breasts here. That sounds good. Oh yeah, it's feeling good. Nice breasts. I love you so much. Yeah. Uh, so I, th- I think about this a lot that I, I kind of touched on it earlier about how like people, people cheat because they're searching for a a, se- a sense of self that they feel like they've lost mm. or they feel like they they want to have like I, I I think that all of our relationships and really everything that we do is on a certain level um just to get to know ourselves better yeah right mm-hmm. like whether that's a, a difficult physical activity like I wanted to go hike the PCT by myself because i wanted to know that I could do it yeah you know? or like that's the you know, extreme version of it but um all of our partnerships, all of our friendships, mm-hmm. you know, we, we remember, I, I, I heard something that I, I really liked. It was like, we don't remember what 
people do. We don't remember what people said. We remember how they made us feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at funerals, you know, we're all walking around like, I remember it. it's all in that person's relationship to us, how yeah. they made us feel at a certain time. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. No, I think that that's definitely a, a key thing. And, you know, we're all mirrors for each other. We're all we're all there to, to kind of um, reflect on each other. And we're choosing who is our mirror, of course. We're choosing who we want to relate to and who we want to connect to. And, um, and we're projecting all over the place, all over the people in our lives. And in relationships, especially in, you know, intimate relationships, those people become mirrors and projectors, projector screens for your whole life, your whole childhood, your parents, everything. We're just like, shoom, 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 and all this stuff on you. Um, but in, and part of it is because I, I do agree that it's, it's helping us or we're looking to work out old stuff, old parts of ourselves that we either neglected or were hurt or we lost. And so we're projecting it here. You are hurt or a trigger. You know, I'm, I'm upset when you do this. And most likely I'm upset when you did this because of something that happened to me that wasn't even related to here. Otherwise I probably wouldn't be that upset about it. And what, when I'm upset about that, it's because when that other thing happened to me back in the day, something in me was lost where my needs weren't met. Maybe I neglected myself and now I'm trying to solve it all over again. And so to a certain degree, it's a healthy practice to, to work out old stuff, but it's not fair to project it and expect your partner to solve it for you right so there's a way to do it in a in a helpful way and there's a way to do it in a way that um is just a lot for another person to take on for you but i think at the end it does come down to parts of you that um that didn't get what they needed you know that's in this this i'm doing a training in march i'm doing a hakomi training it's a um it's a holistic psychotherapy training for a year and to incorporate in my practice and um, a lot of what they do is is this therapeutic practice is using mindfulness and compassion um, and really meeting people where they're at is giving them the missing experience that they didn't get when they were hurt. And that's what everyone's looking for. Whenever we're hurt right now as adults, we're looking for the missing experience of something we didn't get when we were hurt a long time ago. And we can get it now and we can get it. We can give it to our partners. We can give it to ourselves like I'm doing with this, this you know, this self touch. We can get it from therapists. And I'm rubbing my foot. Now right you're now. doing it. Yeah, now you're now everyone that's listening, are you all touching your they're all yeah. like, Yeah, I'm gonna rub my breast. Oh, it feels my good. Neck's cranked out yeah. right now. And I suggest rubbing the parts of you that you don't like. You know, the parts mm. of you, you know, you don't like your belly, start rubbing your belly. Like grab at it. Grab at that flesh, but don't grab at it and judge it. Grab at it and notice the softness and the textures or the smoothness, or maybe even saying things to yourself like, Well, maybe I don't love myself, but I'm I'm practicing, you know, I'm I'm learning or just the parts of you that don't normally get touched, that your partner doesn't touch or that you're normally trying to run away from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'll probably look back at yourself fifty years from now and say, That was a lot more beautiful than I thought I was. Yeah, you totally will. <laughs> Why was I so hard on myself for so many years? Yeah. Oh God. Negative self-talk. We were, we were talking about this, about negative self-talk and how it, how I asked you if you have a lot of it and that runs through you. And I've heard you talk about it on podcasts that you've had times where you've been kind of like hard on yourself in your own process there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I think that there's this balance, right? Because I, w- I want to get good at stuff. Yeah. Like, I, I, I really enjoy the art of learning. Like, you you were talking about play, and 
yeah, there is an element of me that just likes to goof off, but I would say a, a bigger element of my personality is that like, I, I like to learn. I like to figure stuff out and get, and, um, you want to grow. I want to grow. Mm-hmm. I want to grow. And I want, and, and I, I look at things like their problems that I can figure out how to solve. And, um, I think that there's a balance between, um, not, like I don't want to resent myself or hate myself if I if I can't figure it out and be like oh god I suck I'm so stupid it's like the difference between I am bad or I did something bad and I think that I've gotten a lot better a lot easier on myself um because I realized that um having that negative self-talk for a long time I thought made me unique and interesting like i'm this kind of like dark and but like i'm dark and brilliant but like really like, i know everyone issues. fucking has negative self-talk yeah and uh it's it's neither brilliant nor unique mm-hmm. what's unique is be is like truly being curious and truly learning yeah. um, but then on the other side of that right like you can't be too big of a fan of yourself yeah. Like people who just think that they're great at everything, like they, they really aren't. Like yeah. there is that element of like, damn it, like I, I, I want to figure this out that, mm-hmm. that makes us good. So it's balance. Uh, yeah, I always play with that, but I think that I err on the side of being too hard on myself still. Um, but podcasts have really helped me with that because I get to sit down with people who I really respect um, and people who are a lot older than me and have have had those experiences um, and they're just easier on themselves like people people who are older tend to be a little bit easier on themselves and they're more humble yeah, yeah. and I realize that it's, it's just counterproductive and it's wasted energy yeah it's a there's a we just waste so much energy having negative self-talk um, and yeah, I had, um, I had Jim Fadiman on my podcast. He's this psychedelic guru and he said, um, and psychedelics have also helped me quite a bit be easier on myself. But he said, when people take mushrooms, um, it's common that they'll get the giggles and it's not, um, it's not the, the kind of giggling laughter that you get from weed. It's, it's this, usually it's this deep laughter and it's the laughter of how could I have forgotten who I really am? Mm, I love that. Yeah. I've had I've had that experience a number of times um with different psychedelics. Um I guess it's a how could I forgot where I am but this laughter with, like with psychedelics where I've experienced this divine oneness of everything and it's this laughter of like of course, you know, it's just, this is the, this, of course, this is what's, I knew this. And I was actually talking about this the other day with someone where when they have a realization with something in, you know, in that space, in a psychedelic space and they're, but they're like, I already knew that though. And I was like, yeah, but you knew that you conceptualize it, but you actually didn't embody it. It's a big difference between when our system embodies it and the psychedelics can help us to fully embody that, that's that feeling however we feel about ourselves or the world that everything is one or that, Oh, here I am. I've always been here. Or, I'm wonderful or lovable. And, um, it's, I mean, it really is back to like what I had said earlier, you know, coming home. Oh, and we're always, we are always home, but, and maybe we conceptually we're like, yeah, I'm in my body. Of course I'm here. And a lot of us don't feel that way. A lot of people don't feel like they're connected to this. They don't, a lot of people don't like being in their bodies or in their lives or in their existence or they don't feel safe in it. So it's, it's that when you get that feeling, ugh, it's just so 
Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to describe um, psychedelics not as this feeling of like tripping out or blasting off into this universe, but the feeling of coming home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, this last experience I had was like, was one of my um, most, I've, I've come home to the divine oneness many times, but to come home just to me in like to Amy or whatever that, whoever Amy is, um, was that this was really the first time of that and it was really really special and and i think keen you know tying that to sexuality that is an important piece in my journey and being a sexual being because if i'm not there if i'm not home in me how am i going to be fully connected to all my sexual potential how am i going to share and connect you know all of myself to someone else when i'm not even fully here and i think i've talked about this before in your podcast, you know, having an, I had an abortion a year ago. I got pregnant on the IUD. Um, I had had the IUD for nine years. You can have it for 12, everyone. That's not too late. Just so you know. Um, and was with with my partner I've been with for a long time and still got pregnant and was in no place to uh, have a child. So I had an abortion and it really disconnected me from my body. I was really in my head because my head and my body weren't agreeing. Body was like, we're doing this. And my head's like, no, we're not. Um, that's really, and I had to be pregnant for a month before I could have the abortion. Wow. So that's really just conf- hard for the system. The like, it, And so and the, my body wasn't safe. So I just came up into my head. And so I spent pretty much all of 2017 trying to get back into my body. My sexuality felt really turned down. Um, and it was, it was just really, really hard to do. And, um, and so what I've been trying to do is create these practices, is these practices, to, to sexual practices, you know, I'm going to, um, every day I'm going to do something uh, related to my sexuality, whether it's, I'm going to masturbate or I'm going to learn something about sexuality, or I'm going to do some sexual breath work, whatever it is. What I just realized is that I've been passing up a whole important step and that step is coming home to myself and self-care practices that are related to sensuality, but not sexuality. When I just jump and I'm not in my body and connect to my sexuality and I just try to jump right to sex, like I'm going to start having more sex to connect to my sex. I miss I just, I just like completely pass up. It's like, I'm trying to take the fast lane. And so now what I'm realizing for me, and this is, might just be for me, I can't speak for everyone, but what I, what's important to me is for me to every day connect to my sensuality by, you know, that slow touch of my own body or whatever it is of, of in breath work, I think can be a part of it. And sexuality now is a bonus for me when I put made sexuality the goal which is everything that goes against everything I teach right I'm so anti-goals I'm so anti like making orgasm a goal because then it's so much pressure but I've been pressuring myself over this last year to get in, back in your sexuality like I want that fire 100% turn back on and you're gonna do it through this this and this I just I pressured myself I and I and it really comes down to I need to be home in me through this loving self-care through my sensuality and then the sexuality will come too. And I'm totally feeling that. And the minute I took that approach, I have more fire. I have more connection to me, but you can't pass up coming home first. Like it's just, it's just not. You got to preheat that oven. Yeah. You got to heat that oven. I forgot what practice it's. What do they say? Um, women are like water and men are like fire and you must, there's this, what is this? This is like a Taoist practice. You, something about how you have to like 
I don't, I'm not going to say it right. So uh, some, some Taoist person, you got to call it, call into Kyle and talk about this, but it's something about heating the water, like for, for women, you know, this or female bodied folks, you have to like heat the water first, but then the water has to heat for a while to heat up. I'm not saying this. Yeah, well, this is what I was talking about <laughs> earlier though, how many people only get touched in a sexual context and it, how unhealthy right that is. Right for the genitals. Right. This is like the number one complaint I have. Not I have so many number one complaints, but but big complaint people in long term relationships once they figure each other's bodies out, they just go right to the genitals. Or even non long term relations, people are just hooking up. They're just like they're not praising the whole body. They're just like, oh, okay, I'm gonna kiss you. Okay, cock. I'm gonna kiss you. Nipples. Pussy. Right. Yeah. It's just and people are craving that. Like, nah, I want some forearm action. I want you to lick the inside of my, not my armpit, my, <laughs> of my, well, what about the, what's the, what do you call this part right here? What the, the weenus. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a weenus. <laughs> the weenus is the outside of the elbow. No, I know. Oh, <laughs> do you like <laughs> your, do you like your weenus touched? No, the weenus is a very, uh. Un, you can't feel the weenus. You ever you ever play it like do the weenus thing where you like touch like you you pinch the skin. Yeah, it's yeah, the skin on the outside of your elbow. Yeah, I like to play with it sometimes. And if you and you can like we, I would do this in elementary school. You could hold on to it and you squeeze as hard as you can. You go, I can't feel that. I can't feel that. Um, can't feel your weenus. But yeah, it's it's. The whole body. Gotta touch it. Gotta just touch it in a non-sexual context. Yeah. There's so many yummy spots on the And everyone's different, right? Are you an ear person? Do you like your ears touched or licked? Yeah, I'm a big ear person. I get weak in the knees. Me too. My whole I get instant goosebumps over my entire body. Some people hate it. Some people are like, why are you touching my ear? You know, everyone's different. Some people are going to love when you caress and, and kiss the back of the neck or the lower back or, um, you know, the underneath yeah. of the thigh. And some people won't, but it's worthy of exploring. Yeah. I had a weird experience though. Uh, so I'm a surfer and well, no one knew I was a surfer, but I have, uh, um, I have surfer's ear. Uh-huh. I surfer's ear for a while. So there was a whole summer where my right ear was clogged off and uh, I, my girlfriend like kissed my ear and it was this weird experience because when you like the, it's the, there's this sound in it that you don't think about when your ear is getting mm-hmm. licked. Mm-hmm. And when it's closed off, it feels like you have this fish tank head. <laughs> so then it completely changed the experience for me. Like I would go surfing. It, people, people don't know like surfer issues and sexuality. Like all you surfers out there, you ever been on top after a long day of surfing? Oh, and then all the water comes out of your nose? Nasal drip. Yeah, I've seen that before. It's a big deal. It's like a waterfall. <laughs> so like, Sorry. Yeah, my, my bad. My bad. <laughs> it's just salt water, I swear. Oh my God. I am... Um, I was, uh, I used to get bloody noses a lot as a kid. Just my, my, that's just, I was like that kid on the playground who would just, for no reason, nothing would touch my nose. I just get a nosebleed, especially when the seasons changed. Um, and sometimes though, when I, in my, my sex life, um, when I get really aroused, like, you know, the endorphins start going, um, I've gotten nosebleeds before from it, just from being like, so super what? aroused. I mean, I've had this happen where I'm on top of someone who's oh, like, that's a, fucked up. And all all of a sudden, I just start gushing blood all over them, and it's a looks like a crime scene. Luckily, they were also nosebleeders, so they handled well. Yikes. They handled it well. Oh, that's intense. I know it's blood. Like that's not the one. That's not the salt water is one thing, but like getting covered in blood. So I think I got it worse, Kyle. But it yeah. doesn't happen anymore as I get older. The nosebleeds, they're not yeah. so bad. Yeah, that kid. What have you? Um, what have you found? 
nowadays like you're so you're talking about like number one complaints that uh-huh. you get like in society now what do you think most people in sexuality deal, in sexuality yeah. deal with and come to you for um well a lot of people don't know it but they're coming to me for shame issues around shame and c- conditioning that isn't serving them but they're coming to me with a what's wrong with me there's something wrong with me or with my relationship or with my partner um, and most of the time it's related to a, a lot of shame or trauma, whether it's physical trauma or shame from the messages that people got about who they should be or should not be as sexual beings. Um, but yeah, the, never, I, the things I get is people with low desire or just what we desire discrepancy, which means that if you have two or more people, um, one person feels a lot of desire and one person doesn't. Um, so there's this big difference, you know, or maybe both people don't feel desired, but that wouldn't be discrepancy. It would just be... Oh. Well, I guess they're probably okay with that. But I guess we're not going to have sex, <laughs> which there are people that do that. But that's a big thing. Desire discrepancy. Um, I get a lot of people that are um, in, you know, in relationship, having just stuff, communication breakdowns in relationships. You know, they're looping, you know, they, they're just, or they're, a lot of most people just aren't saying what's really going on because it doesn't feel safe. You know, either not sharing their hurts or their feelings or the way they're doing it is very blaming. It's you do this like, you know, or they're screaming at each other or you made me feel this way. And um, so I'm helping them to look through, to kind of sort through and to understand how we can communicate in a way that is loving and empowered, um, which is works, works wonders for for relationships. Um Let's see. What else am I dealing with people? Um, worthiness is always a huge thing. Although when people are coming to me for worthiness, they just don't know it. You know, they're again, it's one of those underlying things like every single human has worthiness issues. Every single person has something around worth and some I'm Austin, that ping pong game. I'm still dealing. I know with you're that. just like, oh, I hate myself. Fucking Austin. Oh, I hate myself <sighs> so much. Yeah, but worthiness in relationships. My backhand, my backhand spin isn't good enough. <laughs> I am not good enough. You need to practice more. Shame on you. No, you're never going to do it again. <laughs> Shame never serves anyone. Um, yeah, so worthiness in relationships. It can. So when it comes to sex, though, it can it can get in the way of so many things. People don't feel. Um, they feel issues around like the insecure worthiness issues around their body image. Sometimes they won't get on top. Sometimes they won't initiate. Sometimes they just won't have sex in general. They won't have sex with the lights on you. There's a lot of things that come into play with that. Um, so something that feels like it isn't related to sex can just totally leak over into it and take over. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's a really big thing for people. Ooh, you know what I want to talk about was initiating sex. I really want to talk about that. Cause I just talked about that a little bit just there. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about initiating sex. Okay. So everyone wants to feel wanted and desired like so badly. And some people want to feel more than others, but for the most part, everyone wants to feel wanted and desired and it can come down or we can relate it to childhood from wanting to feel wanted and desired by, by our parents. And a lot of people don't feel that way with their upbringing. Um, and, and I'm not talking about people that were just like adopted or whatever that is, but a lot of times people had parents that um, never told them that they loved them or that they did a good job. You know, they always felt like they were just this troubling little kid that was a hassle for their parents. Um, but in adult relationships, feel like making someone... I don't want to use the word making. Um, everyone wants to feel wanted, desired, and we have the opportunity to make our partners feel that way. When we get in long-term relationships, we often stop doing that. 
or we don't do it as much. And I am guilty of that. I am guilty of getting really comfortable and forgetting that um, I need to continue to do that. And I do do that, but um, that I need to do it a lot and in new ways. So by making our partner feel want and desired, if we say you're really hot and we say it all the time, it's not making them feel wanted and desired anymore. We need to get creative and create new ways. How are some new ways that I can make them feel wanted and desired? Now, what I wanted to say was not everyone is good at talking. Not everyone is good at using verbal communication. I love you. You're so sexy. I just can't get enough of you. I want to rip your clothes off. I want to suck your cock. Well, you know, whatever. Maybe not everyone's good at that. If you are good at that, awesome. Say a lot of those things. We can make people feel wanted and desired silently, though. We can make people feel wanted and desired by literally coming up to them and ripping our clothes off and laying down and presenting our body to them and and essentially, in no words, saying, take me. You know, it's it's so when people are saying, I'm just not good at that, you know, there's so many ways to do it. And there's a lot of really good ways that are that are related to how we communicate because some people aren't really great at verbal communication, especially when it comes to sex and especially when there's shame around that. Um, so I, I know a number of people are also like people who identify as more submissive and they're like, you know, I'm submissive, so I don't really like to initiate sex. I want to wait for them to do it, but you can do it as a submissive person. Again, just like show up in your little school girl outfit and bend over and slap your ass and bam, they know <laughs> you just initiated sex, you know, or the whole like old show up at the door with nothing but a trench coat on open the trench coat, you just initiate sex again. And there's so many ways to do it that aren't, um, I want to fuck you. You know, there's, it's this, anything's limited. And, and those things are important. They're really, really important for people because it's not just making them feel want desired in the, as sexual beings. It's speaking to their overall worthiness too. And they want it from their partners so much. So let's say that we're, we're not, we're, not talking about two people in a relationship. We're talking about two people meeting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on how people can, I mean, and it might be, seem obvious to um, all you emotionally intelligent people, <laughs> listeners out there, um, but around what's happening right now in the Me Too movement, mm, yeah. in the culture, um, and like how we can be sexual beings in respectful ways. Yeah. Um, it's tricky. It is tricky. You know, we've, we've talked about, um, on, in past, uh, episodes about like being ravished. Yeah. Masculinity, masculinity, femininity. Like how do we, um, how do we be healthy sexual beings in society? Yeah. It's, it's hard. There's a lot of, a lot going on and a lot of it is, is, I mean, it's really important what's, what's happening there. And, um, and I think one really, really big thing is people are terrible at listening. People are so bad at listening and people are bad at also speaking up with their boundaries and their truth too. That, that's one thing. Um, but people are terrible at listening to, um, the, the verbal cues to the nonverbal cues and where the people are moving so fast and so caught up in their own agenda of what it is that they want or think that they should do or have or be that their subconscious knows that there's a message. This is wrong. This is, they don't want this. This isn't feeling good, but they override it because they're moving so fast and just like, just taking, taking, taking. I think that if people really slowed the fuck down, 
whether you're dating or you're just trying to make new friends or you're in a partnership or whatever. But if you just slowed down and really paid attention to what was in front of you, their verbal cues, and not everyone um, has those skills. You can learn those skills unless, I don't know, some people can't like Asperger's makes it a little hard to read. But um, I think if we slowed down and really, really learned how to listen and pay attention, see the being in front of you. And you know of the levels of listening. Probably not everyone does, but um, there's different levels of listening. So there's level one listeners or I'm talking to you right now, but you're just hearing your own story about what I'm saying to you, about how it relates to you. So those are also known as shitty listeners, but that's how most people are listening. <laughs> um, there's level two, which is I'm talking to you and you're hearing what I'm saying. You're having a conversation with me about it. You're, you're taking it in. You're not making it all about you. You're asking me questions where we're actually relating. Level, most people are going between one and two. Level three is you're hearing what I'm saying and you're also feeling with me. You're feeling for me. You're watching my body language. You're understanding what I'm going through and you're really feeling with that. And um, if we all spent more time there, uh, then... Wait, what did you say? <laughs> yes. I was like, I just caught a fish in the head today. It was awesome. Yes. And he just... <laughs> it's like that that scene of the simpsons where it's like marge is like homer are you even listening to me and it What's goes his brain it's like donuts it, it's like a, a, mo- a monkey, a monkey yes. with tambourines <laughs> <laughs> yeah you just gotta blink yes marge yeah if, if you spent more time there though in listening and feeling with or for the person I don't think it would be possible to miss the cues of miss the, the things that people are really wanting, desiring or saying. And I mean, and that's a whole other thing. And then there's like the communication issues of, um, so there's one component of how can we listen and not just listen through the words, but get out of our own way and listen to what the, what, what the person really wants in front of us. And then also speaking our boundaries really clearly, because a lot of what's happening in the Me Too movement is um, is conditioning that's happened from society that has told people a lot of more, more so women that they um, that they don't want to be too much. They don't want to be hysterical. If they speak up, they're not going to get you know the job, or they're going to no one's going to believe them. Um, and that's like there's so much we need to do about that. And uh, we need to raise children to to speak their their truth and their boundaries. You know, don't make your kids go and hug Uncle Robert if they don't want to hug Uncle Robert. Tell them they get to choose and it, that they have a choice for that. And if they get a no, then they get to honor their no. And it's okay to speak your no. And this is how you speak your no. And as adults, if you didn't have the upbringing now, you can start practicing. My mom loves to tell a story about uh, how I used to be as a little kid. I was a pissed off little kid, by the way. You were? I hated being little. Oh, you wanted to be big. I wanted to be big. I wanted to be big very quickly. Like, I, like <laughs> we drive by Galt Elementary School I when I was like three years old. And I remember I was like, uh, there, my mom tells a story about how um, she said, I was like, how old do you need to be to go to Galt? And she's like, oh, you need to be five, honey. I was like, I'm three. I can't wait to go to Galt. <laughs> but she said also on touching, like I would, like strangers would touch me. And they, you know how people will pinch little kids' uh-huh. cheeks? She said I would smack, smack them. <laughs> and I'd say, don't touch me. Awesome. Empowering. And they were like, oh my God, your kid yeah. just told me. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, don't my touch mom him. would be like, yeah, don't, don't fucking touch him. Yeah. He doesn't want to be touched. When I was a kid, when I was like four or five, I was at um, the grocery store in the front, you know, the little little seat for the kid. And my mom, this is what I remember is that she was like walked like two feet away to grab something. And a guy walked by, some like European dude walked by, looked at me, gave me this weird smile and just lightly brushed my cheek. And 
she looked up and looked at me and I knew that like my, my body knew that that wasn't okay. I was only like four or five and I started bawling because my system was like, holy shit, that was not cool. But I don't even know what that means or why that happened. But like my deeper inner wisdom was like not cool. And my mom picked me up, ran up to him and just like chewed him a new one out. Was that was chewed him a new one? Chewed him out. That's what you say in uh, the middle of the grocery store. Like, don't you ever ever touch a little girl like that you don't ever you don't get to touch kids that are not i mean you, you don't get to touch whatever she said she's like that's not cool yeah so i want to ask you about this um before we wrap up because yeah. um i mentioned before i recently did a podcast with a guy named adam rapogel who's a foreign pro surfer and on the podcast yeah, he yeah. came out about um having been molested when he was 12 years old and it turned into this big media thing um yeah i'm so happy you did that that you outed it yeah, I think so too. Fuck that shame. How do we, um, how do we recover from events like that? Like you know, a lot of, a lot in the media I mean, or in the Me Too event or Me Too movement, um, it's it's really a, you know it's around recovery. It's around mm-hmm. wo- women who have had traumatic experiences, and in this case, it was a man who's had a traumatic experience. Um, how do we move past that? Yeah, it's not a matter of like brushing under the rug or pretending like it didn't happen. That doesn't help anyone. But I think the outing outing of it is the first step because first first step is admitting to yourself, of course, that that happened and like acknowledging that. Second step would be the outing of it because that's what you know. In Brene Brown's work, um, she talks about shame and shame thrives in silence and secrecy, and it dies in empathy. And so, outing it into a safe source, you know, what his name's Adam Adam outed it to you felt safe and then in turn to the rest of the world um, which is a very very bold move and a lot of people that that might be um a big step so um you can find a therapist or someone that loves you and your vulnerability you know someone that you can cry to and be angry in front of and all that and they still love you um to, to out that and all of a sudden when you out it just like what adam did it probably has a lot less of a hold on him and that still usually isn't enough sometimes it can be for people but it depends on how deep it is um and so after outing it then it's um, depending on how intense it is, you know, a lot of it, like I was talking about the Hakomi practices, getting with a, um, this, in this case, you'd want a therapist, you know, you know, sex and relationship coaches such as myself, we're not working on deep childhood trauma. Um, but sex therapists, you know, people that have, are, or, or just therapists in general, they don't have to be related to sex to work on sexual trauma. Um, the, we want one that isn't just going to pretend like they're your journal. You want someone that is going to give you that missing experience, that safety, you know, that love that you didn't get when that shitty stuff happened to you. And there's a lot of therapeutic practices that you can do. But what, what, the, what the hope is, is you come to a place where it's not that that thing never happened to you. It's not that you don't remember it anymore. We're not trying to forget it because it's a part of your life and we can't run from it. It happened and we have to um, have, create room for that. But what we want is for it to not control us or cause pain anymore. Um, my mom would be a great example. She had a lot of sexual trauma that she's really open with or open about. And she did a lot of really intense EMDR therapy, which is this rapid eye movement therapy session. This thing moves in front of your eyes while you recall the stories of the trauma, like very detailed, you know, like what were you wearing and how, what, how did they touch you and things like that. And now it's that thing happened, but she just doesn't feel pain anymore. It was really painful to revisit. Um, she was in pieces for a, a number of months and 
now the associate the brain's association with the story has shifted and i know that ayahuasca and things can help with that too i'm a big big fan of if it's a really deep trauma get a human body you know a human person to help you don't just rely on um you know plant medicines or books to help you uh, but there's there's all these ways and i do think that unloading the shame of what adam did i think that's everything really highly of that and the way he did it was badass but i think that that really is a really important first step how do we understand perpetrators better there, this is something yeah. most people don't want to do. They're like, the fucking, yeah, fuck that they should burn them in hell, yeah. you know, the, to throw, throw them in prison, yeah. and throw the key away. Like, I, and I'm not saying that, that we need to um, allow these people to live in in our world, yeah. you know, and I, I think that there are certain people who shouldn't be able to um, yeah, operate in, in society anymore, but I, I'm trying, given my trying to figure everything out kind of yeah. mind. How like, do we do this? Yeah, like yeah. I, I have a lot of like curiosity and like what causes people to molest others? They're hurt too. I mean, everyone, they're, they're, you, you can look at anyone that is angry or mean or hurtful. You know, the bullies on the playground, playground to the molesters, to, those people are hurt little kids that are they're acting out on something that happened to them and they're just it's this toxin that is in them that was something happened to them or was given to them that was never theirs and now they're making the wrong choice by carrying it on by giving it to someone else and so I don't think that you need to be like, oh yeah, it's cool. They were hurt too. So I'm just going to like, you know, let right. them off. Yeah. I'm trying to make that distinction. Yeah. Honestly. You don't have to do that, but we can say there's, there's room for both here. There's room for compassion for, I have compassion for the fact that that person's probably really hurt and scared and um, has a lot of trauma themselves. And I still don't fucking like them. And I still don't want them in my life. And I still don't want them on this earth. You know, I, I, when I work with my clients and they have sexual trauma, they do go through shame about that. They hate that. They hate that person so much. And so what I, and what one of my mentors has taught me is to create room. We always, our brains want to say one or the other, right? It's like, it's either hate or compassion, but we can have both. We can see them in that light of like, wow, something terrible must've happened to you. And that's why you're carrying on the pain and the toxicity and giving it to someone else because you don't know how to deal with it. And it's still not okay. Like that, that can still be there and all of a sudden it can make things a little lighter, a little easier and it can also help with anger and resentment and, but I don't think that we should just choose love and you know, like fuck that. Yeah. That's not being honest. Yeah. So we're simplifying it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Compassion is such important medicine, whether even outside, you know, let's, let's bring it back to a happy subject here. Let's bring compassion into relationships, into good, strong, healthy relationships. But your partner is being a little son of a monkey. You know, I like that term. I can say son of a bitch here, but whatever. Uh, son of a monkey. They're being a son of a monkey. They're being an yeah. asshole, right? You're like, why are you being such a fuck? asshole right now 
in that moment, you could actually just get triggered and start being an asshole yourself. Like, fuck you, you're being an asshole. Or you could look at them as like, oh, this is your hurt little kid coming out right now. The reason why you're snapping at me or belittling me or yelling at me about some like the milk carton that I left only one sip in the, in the fridge, the almond milk, you know, because we're in Santa Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of me looking at you like you're the attacker or you're a bad person, I can say, all right. This is your hurt little person right now that's coming out. Your this is your inner inner hurt child, and we can hold that compassion for them and work with them in that way. And it can be really really powerful in relationships. So, fucking beautiful. Hell yeah, we're all just open to hurt little kids. Yeah, but <laughs> there is time to also play and right. enjoy it. And that's that brings us back to play. Kids yeah. just want to play. That's the point. Yeah. Well, I think you know you you talk about s- something consistently that I really like is like we're hurt but we're not broken yeah like, no one's broken yeah yeah like, some people just have a lot of work to do but no one's broken totally and you know if you're listening to this right now you beat a few hundred million other sperm to make yeah, it to that you're a badass. yeah you're a fucking gangster yeah you so enjoy this life don't settle and do the work and then don't forget to play yeah um, where can people get in touch with you? You got your own podcast, yeah. which I highly recommend everyone check out. Yes, it is called Shameless Sex. Um, obviously, very shameless I am. I, I actually uh, co-host it with another person who is my best friend and in, in sex toy industry partner um, in, in crime. Her name is April. So Shameless Sex, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and then you can find us on our website at shamelesssex.com. And you can also email us at sh- shameless sex podcast at gmail.com i think those are the best ways um from there you can find all of our links to social media and all that jazz thank you so much yeah Woo! thanks kyle that's our show everybody i'm gonna play you out with a song called me and baby brother by a local santa cruz band called light the band and i will link to them under amy's episode If you are listening to this and you're a musician and you want your tunes played at the end of my podcast, email me. Head over to my website, kyle.surf, and I'd love to play them. And if you dig this podcast, if you value the guests that I bring to you every week, please consider donating. I rely on the generosity of people like you to keep this show going. So you can think about it like this. If you would be down to buy me a cup of coffee every month, put that money towards donating to the podcast. Um, You can go over to my website, kyle.surf, and whatever you can give, five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it really does make the difference and allows me to prioritize this in my life. And if you don't have the cash, seriously, don't stress about it. Just give it a rating on iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening from. And keep enjoying the podcast. Keep giving people high fives. Don't worry. But if you do, if you want to buy me a cup of coffee, or maybe even a coffee and a croissant, head over to the website, kyle.surf, and donate. I will see you all next week. And until then, get out in the water. Have some sex with someone who you love and get outside because it's a beautiful world, isn't it? I'll see you soon.